0: Now, David Fiorazzo.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Kind of a somber tone today because we have to revisit something we've been talking about in the last several months. The heart of man, sin, nature. Should Christians endorse any form of lawlessness, no matter the cause? What about Black Lives Matter? What about what's happening in our streets? What is true injustice? What does God think about all this? We need to open in prayer and then bear with us today as we go through scripture and this important topic. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is true and that we can go to it and understand the craziness of what's happening in the world because we are spiritually discerned. We see through the lens of the Bible and we know, Lord, what the problems are and we know what the solution is. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit in every believer. Thank you for the gospel. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. We don't deserve it, but we'll take it. I lift up every person listening right now. I pray that you'd encourage their hearts. Give him or her exactly what they need from you. And I pray, Lord, that we would truly seek to delight ourselves in the Lord that we may say with open arms, Father, here we are, send us. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just wanted to share some thoughts today about what's happening in our country, in our culture, and sadly, also what's happening in the Christian church. Here's a few questions to consider before we start. How should we, as Christians, respond in this cultural moment? How should we respond to injustice, to lawlessness? How should Christians respond to all that's going on around us, especially when we see other Christians confused about, quote, taking sides? Does the Bible have anything to say about race, social justice, being unequally yoked with unbelievers, endorsing things that contradict Scripture? What about lawlessness? What about the rioting? We see. What about the tearing down of monu- federal monuments? Well, we can go to Romans 1 and uh, just talk about the depravity of man. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Um, but obedience to God's law is what matters. In all things, as we respond to this, we must stay grounded on the rock of Christ and his truth. What were the two greatest commandments that? Jesus was asked, of course, they were trying to trap him, right? The Pharisees were. And he responded and he said, or they asked him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? This is Matthew 26, verse 36. Which is the great commandment? Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Everything we do when we respond, first of all, in person, always speaking the truth in love, right? We will love them with the truth, but we will have our speech seasoned with salt. Our speech will be gracious, and we need to be concerned about what's happening. We need to be concerned about apathy and indifference. We must not be indifferent not only about the death of a person that was based on racism, a white police officer and a black man, George Floyd. We also must not be indifferent toward the lawlessness. So we need to pray, yes, yes. Pray for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for somehow, for Americans to be united. You know, we are all Americans, right? More importantly, we are Christians. We are in this together. So let's not be indifferent towards lawlessness. But how else should we respond to injustice and sin? With love and truth, always. Every single person is created in God's image and has value because God is the creator of us all. A key verse for today, Acts 17, verse 26, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. That was Acts 17, 26. So God is sovereign. What else does this tell us? He is sovereign over when in history we live over how long we live and where we live. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And so going on back to Acts chapter 17, we read verse 26. Verse 27, So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets has have said, for we are also his offspring. Verse 29, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. Acts 17. 26 through 31 that verse 30 these times of ignorance got overlooked but now commands all men to repent what we're living in today these are times in which a generation is ignorant of the truth truth which has been redefined by the way these are times of lies being promoted as truth times of open rebellion against the living God, times of unrelenting evil and lawlessness, and the godless are using every excuse under the sun to create a crisis of chaos all around us. And it's working. It's working. But fear not, friends. Don't fear like the world might fear. We must not lose our biblical worldview over race, over government, over any other issue. But let's be clear. We don't have a skin problem, we have a sin problem. You know, there are only two kinds of people in the world, right? Forgiven and unforgiven. Spiritually alive or dead to sin. The Bible says that we must not recognize man any longer according to the flesh. But do they trust in Christ? So let's reinforce some biblical perspective here. Revelation 7, 9, and 10 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Revelation seven nine and ten. So when it says all nations tribes people tongues all means all, standing before the Lamb, one day. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, the inner man, not skin, the outer man. You know the Bible says our inner man is being renewed day by day, though our outer man is decaying in this world. So what's our only hope? The gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's true, we have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, but if you keep reading, in Christ all are justified. We are declared righteous. We're seeing some rotten fruit right now of a generation of people who don't know God, a generation who, many of which have little respect for authority and the rule of law. 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, and for sinners. So why do we need the law? Go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Another translation says it's sick. Who can know it? And then verse 10 answers the question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So revealed throughout scriptures the fact that the heart of man is wicked, deceitful above all things. Wow. The Bible completely rejects the notion that man is basically good, Rather, there are none who are righteous, not one. If you ask people on the street, even in church sometimes, nine out of ten people say, yeah, I'm a good person. Do you think you're a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. Well, we, of course we want to think we're good people. What did Jesus say when he was asked? He said, no one is good but God alone. So let's establish a framework today regarding the heart of mankind. In World War II, 85 million people were killed. Talk about an indictment of the human race. Some estimates suggest between 55 and 60 million of those deaths were civilians, World War II. Well, more recently, another 60 million human lives have been aborted, killed since 1973 in the legalization of Roe v. Wade, What we know, most of us who have a biblical worldview, know that what man declares moral, God has made immoral. Or you can flip it around by saying, what God first declares immoral, man cannot possibly make moral. Does that make sense? So, abortion. I mean, slavery. Once there were laws saying slavery was okay. Were those laws, was it, was it moral because there were laws saying slavery was okay? Of course not. This brings us to the question of how evil is to be mitigated in society. I'd like to share a few points made recently by Pastor John MacArthur. Um, I think, Who's to Blame for the Riots was the title of his sermon. And uh, he made excellent points. God has given us four restraints. First, conscience. The law of God has been written on the heart of every human being, and we all have the knowledge of right from wrong. The conscience is our warning device from God. A, a person overrides that conscience, that law, justifying immoral behavior by training their conscience to ignore it. If you train the conscience to ignore itself because you don't want to feel guilty, then you just wiped out the personal restraint against evil. Number two is family, raising godly children, parenting, passing down righteousness, goodness, truth, and discipline to the next generation. Remove the traditional family and its influence and you've wiped out the second restraint. Think about all these things that negatively affect families and that have impacted and torn apart families throughout the decades. Adultery, Abortion, divorce, gays and lesbians living together, Hollywood, pornography, poverty, fatherlessness, today's technology, entertainment, gaming, social media, all these things have really chipped away at the foundation of family. Number three, the third restraint is government. The government is an ultimate authority designed by God to protect those who do good and punish those who do evil. When government rule is completely rejected, vilified, and assaulted, as we're seeing today, like the police are being assaulted, you've removed a major restraint of lawlessness. Look at what happened in Seattle when the radicals took over an entire, actually I think it was at one point six city blocks and had an autonomous zone, right? That's lawlessness. Romans 13:1 through5, Just a good reminder for us. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to do good works but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Verse 4, For he is God's minister for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Romans thirteen one 1-5 Whether government is attacked by criminals or enemies of good, or when politicians fail in their role, like many governors have recently in the last month or two, their role to serve the people by pulling back those who protect the innocent and punish the evildoer, in other words, giving police stand-down orders, they can't protect the people, don't go in, let them wreak havoc and destruction, you've then removed the third restraint, government Number four, the church. Now, (laughs) there are many problems in today's church, beginning with false teachings, conforming to the world, teachings that have infected biblical Christianity that aren't even biblical, things that have led a lot of people astray, sadly. The body of Christ was supposed to be a preserving salt and a bright light exposing darkness and pointing to the hope in Jesus Christ, unapologetically preaching The gospel, but has the church preserved our culture? Have we, quote, let our light shine before men? Well, we can do so by trying to be good people, by setting good examples, but it does not have its impact or effectiveness unless we actually talk and share and speak up and tell them the truth about Jesus. Part of the cultural confusion today goes back to the church conforming to the world and some professing Christians that don't even believe the Bible. Look at the Barna research, the Pew research, Lifeway. A lot of this all comes out and it reflects on a culture that is seeped in moral relativism, and that has crept into the church. This also results in evil no longer being restrained by the church. We have entertainment centers trying to help people feel good about themselves, and that's not the purpose of the church. To sum up, the crisis that broke the camel's back, so to speak, in the year 2020 wasn't the coronavirus, wasn't shutting down the economy, it wasn't political division, or the millions in taxpayer dollars spent on a failed impeachment attempt of President Trump, and it wasn't even racial injustice. It goes back much further to the decline of morality, the silencing of the human conscience, the destruction of the family, the attack on authority in government, and the weakness and capitulation of the Christian church to the culture. By removing these divine restraints, we're now seeing the fruit of these breakdowns. So let's move on now. After many decades, politicians in Washington either refuse or they're unable to fix all these problems, problems with poverty, Welfare, that's the answer. No, it wasn't the answer. I'll give you one example real quick. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society failed to eradicate poverty and only hurt the black community. It created massive government programs, this federal bureaucracy, and more issues, more problems for the poor. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Alan West wrote, and he was interviewed recently, and he said that when he was born in nineteen sixty one. The traditional two-parent household in the black community was nearly 77%. There were thriving black-owned businesses growing and becoming more successful throughout the communities. Today, now this is sobering, today only 24% of black kids have mom and dad in the home. 24%. And we can have all, he continues, I'm quoting Alan West, we can have all the conversations about racism you want, but we will just keep whistling past the graveyard. We need to have conversations about the gospel, friends, about the only true hope in Jesus Christ. Meet their spiritual need first. And I believe we can do both. We can try to meet some physical needs, but the spiritual has to take priority once again. Galatians 3, 22 through 28 kind of sum up a little bit of what we're talking about here. It says, The Scripture has confined all, meaning all people, under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Verse 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's verse 26. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, therefore neither there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 22-28, what happened to that unity in the body of Christ?
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo.
1: Remove God's law, family values, Christianity, respect for authority, truth, and fixed moral absolutes, And anything goes. It just takes one generation. See Judges 2, verse 10. Remember Joshua's generation? They were following the Lord. They were obedient. They were worshiping him. And Joshua died. And then it says, I'm paraphrasing, and then it says, when the the elders of that generation also died, another generation came up and grew up, and they did not know the Lord, nor the things that he had done. One of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture. It just takes one generation. See uh, the end of Joshua and the first two chapters in Judges, particularly Judges 2, verse 10. Before the law, by the way, talk about injustice in the Bible. The first, the world's first injustice was when Cain killed his brother Abel. So let's bring it up to today. Today's modern cries for justice demand a mixture of things, unbiblical things, friends, especially in the cultural upheaval, including the protests and rioting that some people think were spontaneous reactions to an issue of a white police officer killing a black man. This was not a spontaneous reaction. Neither are most of these protests. They are well-funded by millionaires and billionaires. There's a lot of wickedness and evil money behind this. Millions of dollars? How do walls and fences and pallets of bricks, how how do they end up on city streets all of a sudden? Someone just brought those from the house? No. This was well planned, friends. we got to recognize this. Evil is at work underlying all this. Now, let's be clear. Reforms with government, with police departments, reforms with law enforcement should be discussed. New policies should be implemented. But think about what we started this off today talking about the heart of man is still and always will be wicked. The only cure is salvation, repentance, and the redemption of Jesus Christ. The only cure. So, back to how the church has responded. Oh my goodness, I've observed plenty of Christians, even some pastors, in the past month or so, endorsing or promoting Black Lives Matter, with capital B, Black Lives Matter, even marching with them. I've been very disappointed. Their response seems to come from a view of social justice or a secular social theory held by many young people today. What What do I mean by that? It sounds pretty uh, intolerant of me to say that, right? Well, we want to be compassionate and loving and empathetic, as we should. But too many well-meaning people are getting swept up into this. Too many people are immediately, they immediately jumped on social justice bandwagons Christians, be responsible now, not knowing where those wagons started, who's behind them, and where these bandwagons will lead us to. I'm not talking to the world here. Unbelievers, I'm talking to you who know the Word of God. Be careful what you approve of. The end of Romans 1 says we are just as sinful if we are approving of some of these sinful acts, these those who are practicing lawlessness, if we are also approving of these things, it's on us, too. Be careful who you align yourself with. Why? It sends mixed messages to an already confused world. In particular, I'm referring to the movement, not the people that want to protest true injustice that's happening. Black Lives Matter. They, Of course they matter. I'm on board with the idea, but... The movement, BLM. If you're defending this movement, you may unintentionally be espousing the values of a worldview that's completely in conflict with your own worldview. And I emphasize, if you're a Christian, stay with me here, please. In essence, I agree with the obvious theme. Black lives do matter. Of course, we just read all human life matters. And yet, at its root, this organization is anti-authority, Marxist driven, admittedly by their own leaders, in a recent interview they said we are trained Marxists they are anti-Christian and they're anti-American if you didn't know that by what's happening in the country today did you happen to do an internet search or, or look for information on the background of this organization? Where does their funding come from? I'm talking millions and millions of dollars have you looked into that? Did you do your due diligence? So prior to arguing your case on social media under the guise of being compassionate or against racism, did you even read their statement of faith on the Black Lives Matter website? Go to their own site. They support abortion, transgenderism, racism, homosexuality, the LGBT agenda as a whole, according to its own website now, not my words, did you know? Black Lives Matter, BLM, capital letters, means they are working to dismantle white privilege. They frown upon male leadership roles, law enforcement. They want to defund the police. They want to break up the traditional family unit. They think for some reason that's unjust. And they aim to remove President Trump from office. And they said, whether it's in the election in November or even now before that, they said he must be ousted from office. Well... What do they mean by that? Everybody can vote. You can vote for who you want to. If you're a Christian, do you have any concerns at all, aside from the, the politics of this? These are moral issues, aren't they? They're not just political issues. Oh, abortion is a political issue. Wait a minute, that's murder. That's taking the life of a human being, a pre-born. Did you know the word fetus, the Latin meaning for that is little one? The Latin meaning for the word fetus is offspring, but it's a political issue? Really? So before you champion BLM or any organization, be sure to read its statement of beliefs. Be sure to do a little bit of investigating. Be sure, in your good intentions, to really find out who you're locking arms with. And in this case, I'm sorry, friends, I'm just the messenger here. You will find a far reaching agenda going beyond black equality. Their main goal, let it be known political power. And they admit it. The co-founder uh, recently said, uh, a representative of Black Lives Matter said, if we don't get what we want, we will burn the system down. What does that mean? Was that literal? Is that figurative? Now, you know some of this information if, if you hadn't before. Listening to this in the last five or ten minutes, you know some of this. So, do you agree Christians have to decide whether or not to follow these agendas and movements or follow Christ. I am not sure that you can do both, friends. Too simple? Well, let's dig into the Marxist worldview just a little bit here to give you some background. Here are some points from Joshua Lawson. By the way, Christians, we are caught in the middle, aren't we? This is a hard time in America. It's a hard time in our culture. It's a hard time for many of us and our families. But we are not identified by our skin color, but by our identity in Christ. Our heart should break over what's happening out there. And it does. For most of us, it does break. We've been in tears, but not fearful. But Christians need to rise up. We need to pray. We need to speak out. And it will not be popular. But we need to deny ourselves. So you can be a Christian or you can be Marxist. Three reasons that Christians are being pressured into repeating these beliefs of a Marxist organization, which is really a collective guilt ideology that's incompatible with the gospel. Three reasons. One is fear, just fear of not going along, not complying. And that's peer pressure. Do you think the disciples or any of the great men of God in the faith, any martyrs over the years? Do you think they ever had any peer pressure? Did they go along? We must obey God rather than man. That's what the disciples said. A second reason that Christians are kind of going along or being pressured, a misunderstanding of what they've signed on to, meaning what we were just talking about, misunderstanding of what black lives matter, the organization is about, not the idea to value black lives. And number three, an authentic conversion to the radical cause. There are some in that category that, that say, yeah, let's go along with this. I hate America. It's evil. Well, we'll talk about education another time and the poison that's been in our public schools. But here are some excellent points made reinforcing the fact that you cannot have both of, the, both of these worldviews coexist in your arsenal, so to speak. The grand unifying principle for Marxists Behind the BLM movement is that everything can be reduced to oppressors versus the oppressed. Now, too many Christians are falling into the trap of expressing solidarity with an ideology that is completely antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. They need our prayers. Yes, they do. And then they need to wake up fast and get back to God's Word. Why? Because collective guilt is certainly not biblical. Part of the BLM agenda is to judge white people today for the sins of the past, even though we weren't born yet and many of our ancestors weren't even here on this continent in America. I come from Italy. My grandparents didn't even speak English. They came over here. So whether the sins were committed yesterday, last week, 200 years ago, or 400 years ago, Supposedly all Caucasians are now told to bear the guilt for sins committed by other Caucasians. And if we remain silent, the new accusation is silence is violence. And I'll tell you, friends, that is a complete perversion of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He stood up to Hitler in Germany against Nazi. I mean, he's one of the one-third of pastors over in Germany that said, he said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And that was when, of course, Hitler was wiping out a whole, trying to wipe out the Jewish people. So Christianity states that you are accountable to God alone for your sins individually. And you must go to Jesus to atone for your sins. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 19 and 20 says, Yet you say, Why should the Son not bear the guilt of the Father? because the Son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. Verse 20, The soul who sins shall die. What is soul? Soul is a person. It is a human being, a mind, a will, emotions. The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not bear the guilt of the Father, nor the Father bear the guilt of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Ezekiel 18:19 and 20. The individual soul who sins shall die. Those who take Christ as Lord and Savior are saved personally, not collectively with others. Universal guilt is not biblical, neither is universal salvation. Next Christianity rejects the materialism of neo-Marxism. Historical Marxism now, a little background, it peddles the materialistic notion that if everyone could just be wealthy enough or have enough equally money and everything else, goods, so that economic status is meaningless. Well, what does Jesus Christ teach? Not to concern ourselves with questions of wealth, money, who has it, how we can reclaim more of it for ourselves, Christianity teaches, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Marxism, on the other hand, also fuels covetousness. It's the gospel of envy, really, and also resentment. Instead of spreading peace and forgiveness, the neo marxist running Black Lives Matter, for example, they have cultivated anger and resentment. Instead of preaching thankfulness, the movement has caused many Americans to covet their neighbor's status home, job, whatever it might be. Now, in the Old Testament, one of the 10 commandments is, you shall not covet. Exodus 20:17. You shall not covet anything your neighbor has. The New Testament teaches the same. In fact, the New Testament more often emphasizes contentment, trusting in God to provide. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, Paul said, for I have learned In whatever state I am to be content, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you go down to verse 19, he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What does it not say? My God shall supply everything you want because you think it's more equitable to have everybody you know share equally. No, my God shall supply all your need. I pray to God if you are a parent that you have not given your children everything they want, but I pray that you have given them what they need and they're secure in that. The Bible has answers for every need, problem, issue about life including the four main questions of mankind origin meaning morality destiny Marxism has no answer for those questions of purpose or meaning how we got here our origins uh, what we're to do here our purpose in life everything is random everything is a struggle for power it's now Marxism according to that it's to be resolved either by redistribution or by the sword Bottom line, and we'll go on to the next part here Christianity seeks to unify. Neo Marxism divides. And that's exactly what we're witnessing across the nation today division, hatred, groups, victim groups. In Christianity, you are seen as an individual. Christ has already done the work of erasing all cultural or ethnic barriers to God. Grace is available to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of status, race, ethnicity, or sex. Remember Galatians 3.28. Now, like Satan himself, you know what Karl Marx once said, and this was his worldview, part of his worldview. He said, my object in life is to dethrone God. So, friends, this is not a man. Christians should have anything to do with or emulate or be a part of a movement that is based on Marxism. Remember that every, in every nation that adopted Marxism as its ideological model, Christians have been oppressed, sin has been rampant, and millions have died. So let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. God is just, and his judgment won't be held back much longer. Let's make sure we understand the times press into him and know what the Bible teaches. Every human being will face judgment. John writes in Revelation 20, starting in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from those from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Notice, that includes everybody, the dead, small and great, standing before God, and written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire, Revelation twenty eleven through 15. We will all face judgment, friends, some to eternal life, some to eternal damnation, destruction, apart from God. To endorse the talking points of BLM while claiming to walk with Jesus Christ does a gross disservice to the good news of the gospel. So look at our culture. How did we get here then, where even some in the church are falling for this?
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now back to Stand Up For The Truth, here's David Fiorazzo.
1: Think about this. In a recent poll of college-educated young people, 58% of them said protesting, vandalism, and even rioting are either partly or fully justified due to the injustice of racism. Wow. Now, I know a lot, a good percentage of people are peacefully protesting with, for a just cause. I understand that. But 58% of young people say the vandalism, tearing down statues, and the rioting are partially or fully justified. These are college-educated young people. Author and history teacher Peter Heck recently pointed to the education problem in the US more like indoctrination he said we are planting and he's a history teacher by the way he knows the curriculum he knows what's being taught in the school he said we are planting the root and then are surprised by its fruit after years and years right this is what we're seeing today after decades and I mean decades of teaching kids in America to hate their country take a good look around because what we're now seeing is some of the rotten fruit of the government-run secular education system. This generation of young adults generally has more disdain for America, but they know far less truth about actual United States history. Statues, federal monuments being torn down, they're trying to erase some of this history. Now, I don't disagree with everything, I may question the Confederate flag and because of the Civil War and all that, what that stands for. But tearing down our history, destroying it, you can't erase it. And plus, how are we going to learn from it then? I know this might not be the context, but in Romans 15, verse 4, I believe it says that everything that was written in the past, meaning... The Old Testament, everything that was written in the past in the Old Testament, was for our instruction through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope today as we look back on that. So today, with this anti-American trying to erase the history, where will it stop? It won't stop with Aunt Jemima <laughs> and monuments and you know our founding fathers, where it's going to go even further than that. So This is a depraved mind that Romans 1 talks about. But Romans 3, I believe verse 9 says, What then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And verse 10 states, There is none righteous, no, not one. You know, let me read that in context. um, Romans 3 Let's start in verse 10, as it is written, meaning it was written in the Old Testament, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is none good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. How graphic. You know how bad breath is, right? When your breath is bad or someone else has bad breath. This is very graphic. In, their throats are open graves. It smells like a corpse. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Man, how often do you hear the cursing on these news shows? They have to bleep out every, you know, when they go out on the streets. Their kids are just cussing. They're full of profanity. But they're full of bitterness. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 18. What does the Bible say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I really wish these movements today were just honest and not hypocritical. I wish the people behind them were just as passionate about all-black lives I was a premature baby, by the way. I was born early. Thank God my mom chose life. Uh, Maybe you saw the headline recently that the youngest surviving preemie ever, born in Georgia at 21 weeks, weighing 13 ounces, the youngest preemie is going home. Made in God's image, this is a powerful story in support of birth, motherhood, pregnancy, humanity, and the fact that every life matters his name is Jamarius and he's black his life really matters but black babies like him and much later and older in the womb are aborted in New York City more black babies are aborted than allowed to be born and did you know that Planned Parenthood has 79 percent of their businesses their clinics in minority neighborhoods which is part of the vision of the her founder Margaret Sanger, she was a racist, atheist, eugenicist, and she was a white supremacist. Look up her history sometime. Abortion takes the lives of 360 black babies every single day. Talk about another Holocaust. But we believe, as Christians, those lives also matter. What about black-on-black crime across the country in major cities? This summer, for example, Chicago, they are breaking single weekend records for the most shootings and the most murders in the city's history. The looting and the rioting helps more crime. Tactics of the left include ridicule, name-calling, peer pressure, guilt-projecting, forced submission. But our identity is in Jesus Christ, and our citizenship is in heaven, and we have the right to refuse to go along with the charade being promoted. I've actually seen videos and this is crazy you guys I've seen videos of people being asked to apologize for their white privilege have you seen those there has to be to apologize for slavery in the past did you know that America was the first nation I believe that wiped out slavery at least made it illegal where other nations still had slavery and some still do today and other injustices we are responsible for past generations we just went through that already You may have heard of abortion survivor Gianna Jessen. I thought she had one of the most bold, loving, and biblical responses to this, aborted by her mom. She survived the abortion, and she has cerebral palsy, and she calls that a gift from a loving God who helped her fight for life. About all this, asked to submit to other people, she said this, I will listen. But I will not bow and kneel in humiliation for injustice I am not guilty of. I will not apologize for the color of my skin. I will not be ashamed of the founding of this country. I will kneel before only one. I will bow before Jesus Christ along with my brothers and sisters of all tribes, colors, and nations. We will magnify his name together. I will not kneel to agree with manipulation and control, I will not bow before the accuser of the brethren. I will stand in triumph before the Lord of hosts, who alone weighs justly the hearts of men. Friends, the truth is that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, not to a man, but that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Read Philippians chapter 2. No other allegiance will matter on that day. So let's close with what Paul wrote to Christians in the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So how do we respond to the injustice and lawlessness, to the sin, to the racism, to the destruction that's happening, the, the, just it's the nature of man, right? But Christians are to be set Apart, We are to be different. We are supposed to stand out. We are supposed to be sanctified. What, what does that mean? Pursuing God, righteousness, holiness. Sanctification Just recently, basically means we are not to conform and blend in with the world. We are to be set apart in a different way we live because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That is the foundation of what we live and believe. I want to add this, I have a little bit of time left here. I just want to say this really was a great refresher when I read this again recently. From the Office of the Chaplain, United States House of Representatives, I'm going to read a prayer. This was the first prayer of the Continental Congress in 1774, a little bit of American history that not many people know or remember. The first prayer in Congress. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all kingdoms, empires, and governments, look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these, our American states, who have fled to thee, from the rod of the oppressor, and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for that countenance and support, which thou alone canst give. Take them, therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care, Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause. And if they persist in their sanguinary purposes of own unerring justice, sounding in their hearts, constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish amongst the people. Preserve the health of their bodies, and vigor of their minds, shower down on them and the millions they here represent, such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world, and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son, and our Savior. Amen. Rev. Jacob Duchesne, Rector of Christ Church of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, September 7, 1774, 9 o'clock a.m. The First Prayer of the Continental Congress. We have a very rich history, friends, of a country based on a foundation of Judeo-Christian principles and values, and on the Gospel. If you look at the writings of our founders, up to 93, 94% of all documents that can be found refer to God, the Bible, or even quote Scripture. Over 90% of their writings. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, and that's what matters. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2, By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then all the people he appeared to, eyewitnesses. So we have eyewitness testimony, hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. What are the odds, right? We have archaeological evidence continually being dug up in different parts of the world, particularly the Middle East, Jerusalem, and Israel. And it seems to solidify and confirm history, events, people, places written about in the pages of Scripture. It is our divine authority. The Scriptures are in it. Stand
0: Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media, Stand Up WI, on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's
1: Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome back. What a blessing it is to have so many great guests on this podcast. And in the coming days and weeks ahead, more first-time guests as well as some of your regular favorites are coming up. By the way, if you have a suggestion for a brand new guest, email anytime comments at standupforthetruth.com. Com. Provide a website link and contact info if possible, and we'll check it out. Also, if you haven't signed up for our free email and you'd like to receive the weekly Watchmen, it's got descriptions and links to each week's podcasts. Go to standardforthetruth.com. Right on the right-hand side, you'll see a place to enter your name and email. Then just hit subscribe. It's that easy. So it's, again, one email, a weekly recap that goes out every Friday. We will not bombard your email inbox. And please remember to interact with us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter. You know, one of the biggest reasons we are growing in numbers, praise God, is because you are sharing our podcast. So thank you again. Stay in the Word, friends. Remember that you are salt and light in your sphere of influence. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.